are without repentance are irrevocable. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 15 says, Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift, if you use the international uh, version. But I want to just talk to you a little bit about God's greatest gift. This morning we, or, or rather not, not this morning, but a few mornings ago, a few Sunday mornings ago, uh, we opened this series and I, I, we talked about the greatest gift God's ever given to the church and that is the gift of himself, Emmanuel, God with us. That, that ultimately, it's not just God above us, that's Old Testament. It's not just God with us, that's New Testament. But it, 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 it's the, the cumulation of, of God in us, the book of Acts. And today, I want to unwrap the second gift. I'm looking forward next week to our kids' Christmas play, and uh, those are always a fun time. They had a big practice yesterday, and I snuck in and watched some of it, and they're fired up about it. And uh, it got me reminiscing on some of the Christmas plays that I've been a part of as a kid. And uh, somewhere, probably on one of those old-fashioned VHS tapes, you can find some of them. But it was interesting how little things like that get things in your mind going. And a song came to mind that I don't know that I've ever heard it other than that, that Christmas play. And I had the solo and I got to sing it. And, and I, was, I was ironing a shirt and that song came back. I could, I could see what I was wearing. I remember part of the play. I remember singing it. I didn't realize later because I, I was trying to Google it to find the song. And, and found out that, that the Southern Gospel Group, the Collingsworth family, actually sing it. And so I don't know if they wrote it and it was stuck in that play or if it was in that play and they grabbed it. But I can't find it anywhere else. I even tried to find the old play. Couldn't find it at all that way. But maybe you've, you've heard it. It says, what I have to give to you cannot be bought or sold. It can't be wrapped up in a box or tied with strings of gold. It isn't perfect. And you'll see it isn't even new. But Jesus, it's the only treasure I can give to you. Me, my gift is me. All I am and all I'll ever be. I'm not ashamed for the world to see that it's me. My gift is me. And while there's great truth in that song, even today, I'd like to change the words and change the lyrics just a bit because as I begin to examine all of the gifts that God has given to the church, I've come to the conclusion that second to himself as the gift, the greatest gift God gives to the church is you. And so this is going to be a bit different, I promise you. It, it, for a while it might sound a little bit like a motivational speech, but I don't mean that at all. But sometimes we've got to realize why God chose us. Out of all of creation, out of all of the things, and out of all of the ways that God could allow his church to unfold, he chose you. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. I'll mention it later, but God has always used humanity as fallen as it is, as, as, as uh, easy as it is for humanity to stumble, as easy as it is for humanity to backslide. He never gave up from the garden to 2018 December 9th he's never given up on on humanity and so 
I want to talk to you. In fact, one of the beautiful verses in the Bible, Psalms 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Job chapter 10, verse 8, if I could just pull the first part of that verse out, it says, Your hands have fashioned me and made me. Of all creation, of all the things that God made, we're the only ones that bear his likeness. We're the only ones that he leaned down and breathed that breath into. He made you. I'm going to do two things, or, or one thing right now. I'm going I'm to give you some, some, a lesson and kind of a sermon. I, as I begin to study this, I had been writing things down in my notebook, and I found a, a, a sermon by a pastor by the name of Jeff Seaman. And then he was quoting from Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And it took me a while to figure out where he got his information. And finally, I traced it back to Rick Warren. And then realized later that Rick Warren co-wrote a book called Shape. Let me talk a little bit about why you're so important. You don't have to go very far to realize that God likes variety. They tell me, and I don't know if it's true, for some of you, you'll find this incredibly interesting. For others, you will find it incredibly terrifying. But did you know that in the world, they say there are over 300,000 different species of beetles? 300,000 species of beetles. I mean, I guess God could have gotten along with just 1,000 different species, or even 10,000, but God said, no, let's do 300,000. He likes variety. Another scientist said that in one cubic foot of snow, there are 18 million snowflakes, and not a one of them are alike. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I guess there are scientists that study snowflakes. I, I guess there are those that study beetles, but the average person here, the closest you get to a beetle is the bottom of your foot, or you sweep it up into a pan real quick and you get rid of it I don't know that most of us, I guess the first snowflake that falls on our jacket in wintertime, we take a look at it, and especially if the uh, conditions are right, you can admire for a moment the intricate details of that snowflake, but most of us don't go outside and dig through the snowbank to find all the different things. It's only God that sees them. And in the variety of creation, He made us. You ever sat at the airport, sat at the mall? And watched us. There's some interesting people out there. Lots of variety. There's tall and short. There's thin and not so thin. And that, I don't know how many they say we have in the, it, it changes. And, but you know, there, there's billions of people in the world now. And while there are twins, and we have a couple sets here at church. And while there are those that look like, you know, we call them doppelgangers. But in reality, all of us are different. From the fingerprints on our hands to the, the, the taste buds in our mouth to the way that we've been created. There's not one single person like another single person. And so God in his infinite wisdom created us. From those verses that we read, Psalms 139 and Job 10, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm using some contributions from this Pastor Jeff and Rick Warren, and so just understand, I, I wish I could say it was all my knowledge, but I, I learn just like you learn. 
there's three unique things that you find, three foundational truths that are very important. Number one, and again, I'm, please help me through this, this motivational part of my speech so I can get to the spiritual side, but still, I think it's important. Number one, you're unique. I'm unique. There's nobody like me, hallelujah, and there's nobody like you, praise the Lord. They, they, we use the term, when God made you, he broke the mold. And maybe you don't exactly understand what that is, but one of the ways that they mold things, and so I want you to imagine pouring liquid metal, you know, uh, metal that's been melted, pouring it into a mold. That's what I want you to understand. One of the ways that you can make a mold is what they call sand casting. It's very simple. In fact, you can find YouTube videos on it just all over, but you literally take a box, there's a special kind of sand that's very dense, and I could lay half of the box down, I could put sand in there, I could take anything I want, I could take my shoe, I could take a, a knife, I could take a hammer, and I would lay it in that sand, and I would press it down to half of the hammer, or half of the shoe is in the bottom part of that sand, and then we tamp it all down, and I pull it up. And then I, 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 you, you, you pull it out and you sprinkle a little baby powder there in that mold, that half of a mold. Then you put it back on there. And then you put another box on top and you fill that with sand and you get it all there. And then you gently break them apart and you would see both halves of what I was going to mold. You put it together, there's a little hole, and in that sand you pour that liquid metal into that void that you created. And when it cools, you break the sand away, and you will find a, pretty much an exact replica of what you molded. The problem is you'll never be able to do it again because you had to break the mold in order to get that object out. When God made you, he didn't keep your mold somewhere on the on the shelf and say, I'm going to make somebody else like you. He said, I'm going to make you different than anybody else that has ever been or ever will be. And there's a reason for that. He wants you to know. And again, please, I'm not trying to be be, 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 be kind. I'm not trying to be uh, sweet to you. I think there is a biblical precedent to understand you are special. You matter to God. He spent time developing you. He spent time making you, and you're unique. And the second thing is, you're very complex. I've known some of you for a long time, and I still ain't figured you out. I've pastored some of you for almost 10 years, and something happens, and it just kind of takes me back. I said, I know that about them. I've been married to my wife for how long? 17 years, right? Is that right? 17? Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm sure there's days she wakes up and goes, good night, what did I get myself into? Because we're complex. You don't just, you don't just take a person and, 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 and condense them or distill them down into just one little thing. I, it's not about stereotypes. I, I can't just say, this you, you're complex. In fact, have you ever done something and thought about it later and go, why did I do that? I'm not talking about making a mistake. Just, it's because you don't even know everything about you. You're complex. You're unique. The third part is God made you for a purpose. Rick Warren says that everyone is shaped for a purpose. That if everything that God created has a place, and while you and I may not understand it, I have no idea. When I get to heaven, one of the first questions I'm going to ask him is, God, why would you make ticks and why would you make mosquitoes? I don't understand it. You know, we really don't need them. Honestly, seriously, we don't need them. But I believe the answer would come back and God would tell me everything has a purpose. 
Even the things you don't understand. Even the, the circumstances that you haven't quite figured out. I made you and you have a purpose. Can I just tell somebody right now, you're not here by accident. You're not here in this church by accident. And you weren't born by accident. You were designed by God. I, I, this is not some, some uh, uh, out, out, you know, outflow or result of evolution. It's not just, well, you kind of came about. No, no, no. It doesn't matter if you were in church, out of the church, didn't even know who Jesus was. In the womb, the Bible says, before you were even conceived, God knew who you were, God knew who you could be, and God said, I've designed you for a purpose. He didn't just... They say if you give enough monkeys uh, uh, typewriters eventually and you give them enough time, eventually the works of Shakespeare would be written just simply by, by chance. But God doesn't sit down at a computer and just randomly input variables and out you come. But everything is purposefully, personally, and orderly planned by God. The genetic codes in your life, he didn't just throw them together. He said, I want you. I want you. Rick Warren came, as far as I can tell, he came up with it and then others have, have expounded on it and, and written on it. But Rick Warren says that you have to understand the shape of you. Long before Ed Sheeran or whoever it is wrote a song called The Shape of You, Rick Warren had something going on. He said, it's your God-given shape. The shape of who you are, and I'm not talking about whether you're round or tall or skinny, but the shape of who you are will affect everything about you. It affects your life, your relationships, your career, your finances, your retirement, your enjoyment, your hobbies, your recreation, and it's your shape that God designed. He uses an acronym, SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. SHAPE, S, spiritual gifts. We'll hit this a little bit later, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says at the end of it, every man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. There's almost 20 or maybe more than 20 gifts mentioned in the Bible and later on we'll examine them in a different sermon. But can I just tell you that God, He didn't just create you and even if you were backslidden, even if you'd never come into the presence of God, even if you'd never been saved, God still has designed for your life gifts that he wants you to use for him. God says every believer has a spiritual gift and that spiritual gift ought to show up not just if you're teaching a Sunday school class or not just if you ever get a chance to preach, but that spiritual gift will show up in your marriage, in your life, in your work, in your career. He has a spiritual side for you. The H is your heart. Later on, I'm going to tell you a little bit about your temperament versus your personality. But your heart, it's what motivates you. It's what drives you. And each one of us, our heart has a little different motivation. I would say if I began to, to, to talk to each one of you, there would be things that you care very deeply about and there would be things that you don't really care about at all. And those are different from person to person. By the way, that's what make marriages hard. Because some things that I care about deeply, Brienne doesn't give a rip for. She could care less that I want to go sit in a tree stand for eight hours in the freezing cold and I say it's fun. She doesn't care. But that's okay because I hate shopping. 
She can go walk around a mall with $400 in her pocket and for eight hours never buy a thing. Are you crazy? If I'm going to go shopping, it is a beeline for the item that I've been looking for. I don't care if it's on sale or not on sale. I need it right now. Take my money and I walk out and they barely caught me on the security camera because I'm like the flash. Revelation chapter 17 and 7 says God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purpose. The Philippians 2.13 says it's God who works in you, inspiring both the will and the deed for his chosen purpose. Can I tell you right now that God puts desires in your heart and he does it for a reason. And I'm not even talking about what you would think is spiritual things. He knows what moves you. He knows what motivates you. It's questions like this. Are you ready? What do I love to do? When I, when, what is it that, that my mind always goes to? And I'm, again, this is not even spiritual, but if, if, if you just begin to veg out right now, what's the first thing you begin to think about? Now, if it's sin, you need a baptism of the Holy Ghost, okay? I'm not talking about that. You can't get away from that basic interest that God has implanted in your life. It's given you a heart, a motivation. It's your temperament. Then the A, the abilities. There's different abilities that God has given and, and you have to recognize them as abilities. Uh, in, in the research in this, and I don't know if it, was, if it was the Pastor Jeff or it was Rick Warren that made it, but he said the average person has between 500 and 700 abilities, and that's just an average person. For example, if you can raise your hand, that is an ability, okay? If you can, if you can walk, that is an ability. If you can do numbers in your head like Brother Peters can do, and I've watched him time and time again, if you can do numbers in your head, that's an ability. Not everybody has that ability. If you can see the big picture, I'll tell you an ability I have. I can walk into nothing and, and see what it could be. I can see a, a building plan and instantly see the, the finished thing. That's an, a, an ability. Some of you love computers. Others hate them with a passion. Some of you are good at speaking. Others, not so much. You have those abilities. Some of you can play an instrument. Others can't. But those abilities, while maybe your mama made you go to lessons as a kid and you had to take them and you hated them and that's why you can play the piano, but in reality it's more than just lessons. You had an ability. There's mechanical minds and engineering minds. There's the ability to entertain and there's the ability to cook. Thank you, Sister uh, Harpole. Uh, we've enjoyed that. The ability to, to speak or recruit or research or landscape or build. And those are not by accident. God gave you those abilities. And his desire is that you would in turn use your abilities to bless his church. 
many times in the Bible, Exodus chapter 31 and some other places, when, when, when Solomon began to build the temple and, and when Moses was building the tabernacle, you, you have this phrase that says, and God put his spirit in certain men or certain women and gave them the ability to do what they needed. They were slaves who probably the most creating they had ever done was tromping around a mud pit making little rectangle mud bricks and, 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 and for that, but he gave some of them the ability to create finely woven curtains with gold threads that look like cherubims. God gave them the ability and he gave you that gift and he wants you to use it for his kingdom. And then the P, he gave you a personality. This is different from your heart. Personality is your character and then you have what's called a, a, a temperament and I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But, but some of you have personality with a capital P. There's three things that make up your personality. The way you act, the way you feel, and the way that you think. And the root of that is the way that you think because the way you think determines how you act and how you feel. The Bible says the root of your personality, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, your life is shaped by your thoughts. It's complex. As I told you earlier, the average person has 500 to 800 different abilities. Most researchers, or at least researchers, have discovered that perhaps there are as many as 18,000 personality traits. If you take 18,000 different personality traits, you come up with just about an infinite number of personalities because you can just take a few here and there. And as you look at all of those, each one of us have a different personality that we were born with and we were created in. If you went to college and you took some sort of a psych course, developmental psych course, you'll hear this phrase, is it nature or nurture? And it's both. Some things you're born with, other things develop in your life. If, you've got, if you're a parent or been around kids, you, you know that you can have kids and one kid is born cooing and loving and complacent and sleeps all the time and, and loves life and loves to laugh and the other one looks like it came out of a mafia movie. It just dares you to make him laugh and, and gives you that stink eye and won't smile. It's personality. It's part of your shape. And God gave you that for a reason. And then the third, the E, is your experiences. God plans and allows the experiences of your life to literally shape you. Romans 8, 28, we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and fit into his plans. When God, before you were conceived, God sat down at your life and he saw the unveiling of your life and he understood that certain things would happen and he said, you know what, I'm not making it happen and I want you to listen to me very carefully. God is not some mean puppet master that lets bad things happen in your life because it gives him some perverse pleasure. But God understands that life is life and it will happen and it will go forth. And so God says, you know what, something is going to happen in their life. They're going to lose a loved one. They're going to they're have to uh, 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 fight for some things. And if they will, I'll be with them. If they'll let me, I'll walk them through that shadow of death. And I'll be with them and, and I will bring out good even 
when the bad things happen. God so desperately wants to work through your experiences. He wants to work through the things that you've gone through in your life because he understands that if you've walked through some deep roads and some tough roads and you've let your hand hold on to God through that entire time, then you are uniquely suited to help someone walk through that same road. The shape of you. Your heart, your temperament, your ability, your personality, and your experiences. They're complex. And who you are is fixed by God. You don't just randomly change that shape. You, 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 you may go through some different stages in life and you may have different expressions of how you deal with it, but who you are at birth is pretty much who you are for the entirety of your life. And, if, and, and I wish I could tell you that and explain that as, as good as my dad can explain it. And if you want to, you can go talk to several in our, in our building that have dealt with, with the psychology of things. And, and, and you understand that you don't really change who you are. You're no different than when you got started. What they say, the basic bent of your life is that. So what happens at conversion is this. God doesn't just take you at conversion. And I know we use the phrase, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. But that's really in the nature of sin, that we, we, we were of our father, the devil, and now we're saved, and we can live a holy life. But listen to me very carefully. If you were, if you were like in the third grade or, or, or three years old, and, and we've all seen that YouTube video, video where the little kid is trying to negotiate with his mom or his babysitter and he keeps saying, now listen, Linda. That boy is going to grow up at 40 years old and that same personality is going to be there. Now listen, he's going to make a great Bible study teacher. Now listen, let me show you what the Bible says. If you wheeled and dealed at the playground and you tried to take all of your friends' marbles and, and you were constantly coming home because you knew how to trade people and you always got the best end of the trade, you're going to be that same person as you grow up. See, this is where I begin to realize. Because I thought at some point I'd be... You know, in my mind, 36 as an adult, because, you know, 36, uh, uh, at least in the United Pentecostal Church, we have our youth group, and supposedly it goes all the way to 36. I never quite figured that out yet, but that's what it So I, I thought about 36, I'd grow up, Brother Donald. And sometimes I wake up and realize I'm no different than I was when I was 12. Maybe a bit more mature, and that's a stretch. Because who I was then is who I am now. And so if you pulled pranks as a kid... You're going to be that 85-year-old dude in the nursing home pulling pranks on all the old people. Not that 85 is old, but you know what I'm saying. Because it's who you are. One of the problems is we keep trying to change who we are. Somewhere in life, somebody told us they don't like us. And so we've tried to change who we are. I'm not talking about change to be like God and, 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 and to be better and to be, be holy, but I'm talking about you've tried to change who you are and you've forgotten that God made you the way he made you. Your shape is irrepressible. It cannot not be you. I know that's a double negative. It's all you can be. You can't escape being you. You can try to be like somebody else. 
but eventually the real you is going to show up in your life. In fact, watch this. You can get a job, and, and, and it might not be the job that, that is perfectly fitted for who you are. And, and I've watched because I've seen it as a pastor now for 10 years and I put people in different positions. But it's amazing that who they are will always show up. And they'll even try to fit that job to that personality. And so if you happen to hire people, it's better to put people in the job that they're shaped for rather than try to fit them into the job that they want to be. This is why you've got to understand, and I, again, I, I realize that I'm, I'm bordering on that motivational speech, but I think there's some deep truths that we don't always talk about. We're, we, if we're not careful, we get so quick into Acts 2.38 and to the gospel that we forget that God created us, and people deal with this on a, on a, on a daily basis. There's four things that if you'll understand why God made you, there's four things in your life that would be better. Number one, it'll reduce your stress. Because for too many years, you've tried to compare yourself to other people. You've tried to compare yourself to your mom. You've tried to compare yourself to your dad. You've tried to compare yourself to this person and that person or your brother and your sister, and you've forgotten that God didn't make you like them. When I, when I, when I was kind of a young minister, I mean a very young minister I wanted to be the next Jerry Jones for those of you who know him, I wanted to preach like him, I wanted to talk like him and then I realized that I, I didn't do it I'd try and it'd fall flat I listened to T.D. Jakes and I said man if I could just preach like T.D. Jakes but it don't happen out of this guy I've got to preach like Brandon Buford and so I want you to hear me for just a moment in this church, stop trying to be somebody else. You might not be gifted in that area, but can I just tell somebody that God has given you a unique gift that nobody else has. And one thing that I've come to believe as a pastor is that if you're not here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday, this church is worse off because it was missing you. And if, if, if a church... Can, if a church can get by and you cannot show up for a couple weeks, then you're missing out on what God called you to be. If you can disappear and, and the church doesn't hurt, you're missing out on what God called you to be. You got to recognize your strengths, you got to recognize your limitations, and you've got to understand you are you. The second thing it does is it increases your success. I'm not talking about making money. I know a lot of people who make a ton of money and they're not at all a success. They got all the money in the world they want, but their homes are breaking up, their, their physical life is breaking up. They're not a success. Can I tell you what success is? Success is knowing what the will of God is for your life and being right smack dab in the middle. It's amazing. I don't know if you feel what I feel. But I feel the absolute power of the Holy Ghost with what I'm trying to say to somebody. It's not about whether you got a job that's just perfect. Because when you get to heaven, you don't take any of that money with you. But what you do take is the things you've done for the kingdom of God as you. 
I can tell you right now, my wife and I, we've had a lot of moments in our life when the paychecks were very small. We've had a lot of moments in our life when if you wanted to define success by what we had, you weren't going to get it. But I could stand there and say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm right where you told me I have to be. And as long as I'm right in the middle of the will of God for my life, everything else could fall apart. But I understand what my success is. If you're a parent, there's so many things I could say, but if you're a parent, would you do me a favor? And would you help your kids as a kid and as a teenager find their shape before you go stick them outside in college and tell them to go live their life and if they're not careful they'll never know what the will of God was for their life you gotta let them know God's got a plan for you and that plan might be a graphic designer or that plan might be a construction worker but let them find God's will for their life let them find their giftings let them find the direction that they have Number three, it deepens your satisfaction. A life that you could qualify or quantify as a satisfying life is when you do what you are shaped or called to do. How many of you have had a job that you hated? I mean, with everything in you, you hated that job. Please don't raise your hand, Brother Randall or Sister Sharon or any of y'all. Huh? But you've had a job, right, that you've hated. You know why you hated that job? Because that wasn't what you were called to do. You might were doing it just to make ends meet. You might were just doing it to, to you know, to, to just have. But freedom comes when doing what you're gifted to do. And here's the thing. You will enjoy every aspect of your life if you enjoy what God made you to be. You're in harmony with his plan. You're in harmony with if you'll marry who God's called you to marry, yeah, you'll have some, some arguments. There'll be some fights. I get that. But there'll be harmony. But if you step out of that, that God's plan for your marriage and you marry just somebody you want to marry and you never bothered to ask God about it, you might as well be slogging through quicksand uphill both ways in the middle of a snowstorm with cement shoes on your feet. I want you to make sure you get a word picture right there. Number four. This one, this one hit me a little bit. This one, this one is one of those that caught me off guard. I don't know if I'm going to finish. I got 19 pages to go. I'm on page nine. So, or not to go. I have 19 pages total. I'm on page nine. So we might do a, 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 a second part to this. In fact, I believe we're going to. There, there's, this one is something, see, if I'm not careful, I look at church and God and salvation as kind of what I see in church. I come to church, I lift my hands, I worship, I love God, I love, you know, I go home, I try to read my Bible, and, 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 and then, you know, I, I don't want to sin, and, and so that's the extent of what I think God does for my life. And then I walk through this world. And I begin to realize how many people everything that I've been talking about touches. I, met a, I mean, I've known her, but I, I saw her again. My wife and I, we met a lady. She began to explain some things 
way, way, way back in her, her, uh, her life that shaped the way she views church, the way she views what goes on. I've dealt with some of y'all. I've listened to you talk. There is an epidemic of low self-esteem in our society today. Truth be known, if I begin to do a, a study, there'd be a good majority in this building that you would look at me in confidence and say, I don't even like myself. The reason is because you're in the wrong place doing the wrong things and you forgot that God has a plan for you. Because who you are is not just a product of your raising, but who you are started long before you were born. In the womb when God said, in fact, before you were conceived, before your mom and dad ever got together, God began to lay out a blueprint for your life. He said, i got a plan for you. And, and, and do we always stick to plans? No. I've watched people build houses and they got a blueprint. The blueprint tells them everything to do, but somewhere they missed a step. And they wonder why the door don't fit. Was it the blueprint's fault? Nope. It's because you deviated from the plan of God or the, or the plan of the architect. Let me tell you something right now. If you'll learn to realize that one of the greatest gifts God has ever given is you, it will build your self-esteem. I'm not talking about pop psychological self-esteem. I'm not talking about pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps or, or, or just, you know, the power of positive thinking. I'm not talking about you going and meeting a counselor on a daily basis and letting them just say, oh, you're going to make it. But I'm talking about some things that hinge on two very important things of God. Number one, you matter to God. I'll tell you how much you matter to God. Not only did he form you before you were created, not only did he know you before you created, but he knew that you would mess up, fail, and sin, and walk away, and yet still he said, I'll go to the cross because they matter. I don't care if mom and dad threw you away. I don't care if boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband or wife threw you away. There is one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God says you matter. I walk through this world, I see social media, I'm sick and tired of everybody saying they don't matter, they're the wrong color, they don't make enough money, they're not smart enough, they're not good enough, but somebody listen to me. You matter more than you ever know. We sang the song, God is fighting for us. Can I tell you the reason he fights for you? Because you matter. Because if you didn't matter, he'd fold his hands up and say, do it your own way. I joke about my own kids, especially now that I've got a 15-year-old and 11-year-old who thinks she's 20, and then a 1-year-old. And every once in a while I make comments like I understand why animals eat their young. And there are moments... 
that Zane drives me absolutely crazy. And there are moments that if I didn't care, I'd let him do his own thing and just suffer the consequences. But I can't do that because he's my son. And there is a God that's not wanting and not willing to leave you to your own devices. And if you continue down the road your own and your own devices, and when you stand before judgment and God says the actions and the attitudes and what you've done allow me to, or don't allow me to let you into heaven, he's not going to say it with a joyous grin on his face, depart from me, I never knew you. But he's going to look at you with tears in his eyes and he's going to say, I pursued you every morning you woke up and I tried everything I could to get you back on the right track because you matter I woke you up in the middle of the night and let you feel the tears of conviction I let the preacher preach messages that broke him up inside I let the word of God speak to you because you matter somebody needs to understand that you matter to God and the second thing is you were shaped by God for a purpose Sister Buford I'm going to let you come see when you get those two things right in your life it will build genuine self esteem the, as you can tell I get pretty passionate about it I could preach about that you matter to God for all for a long time I could preach message after message after message about it but a lot of times that's where we stop. But it's the second one that will change your life. God has a purpose for you. And if you'll find your purpose, then how in the world could you ever doubt who you are? Perhaps up to this moment you feel like your life hasn't mattered very much. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 16 I just wonder how many of us could, could truly say this prayer by the grace of God I am what I am let me step out of the pulpit for a moment by the grace of God I'm Brandon Paul Buford the ups, the downs, the hills, the valleys, the dark times, the bright times, the sad times, the happy times. It's by the grace of God. And so when you begin to look and see your life a little differently, you begin to realize that I am a gift. When you can look over your life and say, you know what, not only did God make me, not only did God save me, but God needs me. I know that's hard to say, and, and I guess probably there's some theological time or, you know, where that might break down a little bit, but the truth is God needs you. The reason he needs you is because he designed you and you fit into his plan. Could he do it another way? Yes, but it wouldn't be his plan. Could he build a church another way without you? Yes. But that's not his plan. 
so we look at Peter and Paul. And if you'll do a, a study on Peter and Paul's life, and if you'll look past just their doctrinal statements and look at their personalities, Peter was impetuous. Peter was kind of always on the edge, rushed headlong into things, didn't always think them through. Paul, on the other hand, was so OCD, it made him mad that OCD wasn't in alphabetical order. Paul and Peter, their personalities were as bad as oil and water. God had a plan. And God said, I need you. And so what you begin to do, you look into your life, you begin to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I thank you, God, for making me. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for designing my life in such a way that you've walked through me during the hard places. You've led me in the good places. I thank you for the wisdom that you've bestowed, and, and, and I'm thankful for the gifts, my spiritual gifts. I'm thankful for my heart for my ability, for my personality, and for my experiences. And I realized that you didn't just mix it up and throw me in the mix, but God, you designed me for this church and for your church. That I'm lovingly and, fa and, 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 and fashioned and formed by your hands. The DNA and the genetic code, you took time to sort it and put it all together. God, I want to discover who I am. I don't want you to waste a gift. I don't want you to go through all this time of creating me and saving me and then my entire life. For 39 years, you've molded me, you've made me, and sometimes I've stepped out of your will and I've stepped out of your plan and you, you've pulled me back and I even think perhaps you've adjusted it sometimes when I messed it up and I missed the opportunity and you just kind of went back and you said, don't worry, I got another thing and you fashioned it all together. And God, I want to find significance in my life. I want to find meaning in my life. I want to know what your will for me is. I want you to stand right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it right there. Because I got Sunday school teachers that if I keep going for another 30 minutes, we're gonna they'd be not be happy. So I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna have to come back tonight to hear part two. I want to talk to you a little bit more about how God made you. And, and and what I'd like to do is is take it out of just you, but I want to put the fact that God's gift to the church is you. I want you to see how you fit in this church. I want you to see how your personality and your abilities and your, your temperament fits. And by the grace of the Lord, we'll do that tonight. But I, I'll be honest. Sister Sorrels, I didn't quite know as I was planning for it. I didn't feel the unction that I feel right now. And so I know beyond a shadow of a doubt God's talking to somebody. As I began to plan it, I didn't even know I'd be an altar call, but I think we need one right now. And so I want to invite you to begin to come. Nobody's going to pray with you. I'm not, I'm not going to go and...